0: And we have started our journey through the Gospel of Luke. It is the most orderly Gospel account in all of the Bible. There's none like it. It's so accurate. It's so detailed. It's so pointed. It's just distinct from the rest of the Gospels. The point is to convince us and a guy named Theophilus that Jesus really was the promised Messiah. He was the fulfillment of that. And that changes everything, if that's true. The emotion of the book is just a blast. I hope you've enjoyed it already. I mean, it, it's, it's a hoot. And a hoot, and um, so feel free to, to go to the website and check it out. The rest of it if if you haven 't um, been here with us, feel free to look at that. go share it, go look at it. all that kind of stuff. Jesus is so rich in this book. Uh, this graph I proposed a graph to you last week. This is chapters one and two, how it 's kind of laid out again. Luke is incredibly detailed. Everything he does is on purpose. It's different than the thematic journeys of Matthew, uh, Mark, and John. It's just different. He's so OCD. Amen. And so this is how the first chapter is laid out. You've got the announcement of John. It goes immediately into the announcement of Jesus. The two cousins get together and have a Holy Spirit worship service, then the birth of John is announced, Uh, then the birth of Jesus is announced. The way that we took it, so that you would know how we're flowing through it, last week we took the announcement of John and his birth together, this week we will take the announcement of Jesus and her and Elizabeth getting together, Mary and Elizabeth getting together, and then we will have the birth of Jesus all by itself. In other words, happy Christmas Eve. (laughs) And then next week will be Christmas. And hopefully Colin can pull off the trees that had the dancing lights. If you remember that at Christmas, we can get all that, right? He just disappeared. So, uh, but no, this is what's going on. The main idea is even the events leading up to Jesus' birth, Theophilus. you got to hear me, Theophilus. Even the events leading up to Jesus' birth are miraculous and divine. And so that's the point. Um, God is using nobodies instead of royalty. God is taking barren wounds and filling them with divine children. Uh, he's taking lifelong prayers that have never been answered before. And he's answering them. Um, he's, he's, he's muting, doubting servants. But still using their sinful doubt for his glory. Praise the Lord. That he can use our sin for his glory. Amen. That's who our God is. Um, And in the shadow of a false king, Herod, he is preparing the king of kings. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will journey through our, our section today. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel of Luke already, what it's doing in our church, how it's speaking to us on a historical level, but also very much practical levels as well. God, I pray today that it's no different, that it really is all about Jesus, everything, that we again, as we pray often at Safe Haven, will not walk away with cool application and life hacks on how to be better people. God, that we will just walk away enamored by Jesus still more, that we'll see you more majestic as we walk out of the doors than we did when we walked in the doors, knowing that The more that you increase in our lives, the less we increase and the more we decrease. And therefore, your glory is exalted and our good is ultimately had. So Jesus, do that for us. Because if you don't, it won't be done. So Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Speak beyond the voice of mortal men, women. And Holy Spirit, wash across this place afresh and anew. Overshadow us with your power. Jesus, now I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, if if you haven't been journeying with us, we do travel through the books of the Bible. We are in the Gospel of Luke, journeying through it together. It's been quite a journey, and uh, we're going to continue to do that today. Luke's going to give us three things today, and it begins with this detailed setting, which should be of no surprise to you if you've been going through it with us. And if you haven't, again, glad you're here Luke's super detailed, and he's going to give us this detailed setting to kick off our time today as Jesus is announced to Mary. If you grew up maybe in a, a Catholic setting, it would be sound like this, the Annunciation of Mary. Uh, so, so we will stop short. We will not venerate Mary. <laughs> but nonetheless, she will find, have this miraculous announcement given to her today. So it starts with this detailed setting. Here's how it begins today's text. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I want to stop there because I think Luke wants to see three details right here in this first verse. And I hope you're catching on to this. We'll get out of these statements in not too long, but you got to get the point that Luke is super detailed. That's his whole point is I'm writing a gospel unlike any other that takes every detail into account so that Theophilus would go, okay, this is true, it's accurate, it's detailed. Surgical precision, so much so he was a doctor, so we knew he was well-respected, well-read, well-understood. He wants us to see at least three things here. Number one, notice that sixth month. He puts that in there, and I just point that out to say again, you don't get that information unless you have Carefully interviewed some people. And so Luke, unlike the other gospel writers, has sat down and interviewed Mary, interviewed Elizabeth, got the details, so much so that he says, in the sixth month. So he puts this in uh, so that we'll see that he is indeed accurate. Elizabeth, as we just found out last week, had hid herself for five months, enjoying her time with a mute husband whose vocal cords had been smitten. And so she's hiding there. And so basically, what Luke's saying is Elizabeth told me she hid for five months, and then the sixth month came. And this is when the announcement of Gabriel came to Mary. So there's this detail. He wants us to see that. And then he says, Notice Gabriel again. Gabriel has, is the one who's just hit the mute button on Zechariah. He was the one that was sent. Gabriel is one of two angels that's mentioned in the Bible. They're the only two, unless you count Satan, and who was indeed a fallen angel. Uh, but he's a, he's a special one. This is the same angel that was sent not only to Elizabeth... But, and Zechariah, but this is the same angel that's mentioned in Daniel. If you're familiar with the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel is receiving or, or giving um, interpretation to some visions and dreams. Gabriel is the one who was sent to give Daniel those interpretations. So this is a, I mean all angels are old, but this is who this is. Uh, this angel Gabriel has, has done quite a few things. Um, he is truly an archangel of the Lord. And then he points out, uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, <clears throat> Nazareth is pointed out, and this is fascinating, because Nazareth is not what Nazareth is today. You go to Nazareth today, you've got big buildings, you've got some growth, all this kind of stuff. Back in this day, Nazareth was... <laughs> Man, I hope I don't offend anybody. It's Buell, Okay? No, look, and I know. Don't get mad at me. I know. Don't. Don't. You can throw haterade after me. After sir, it's it's a small town. It is a hundred and fifty people. I know Buell is bigger than that, but you need to think. This this is not a big booming metropolis. This is a small farm town of about a hundred and fifty people, and he's bringing this out on purpose. If you'll remember, in John, the prophecy was. Uh, there's this guy Jesus, and he's come from Nazareth. And there's this one of the first disciples named Nathaniel. Nathaniel makes the statement when he hears that somebody y'all, y'all remember this. He says, "Can anything say it out loud? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything like that come out of Buell? That that's the point. So he's pointing this out on purpose because he's trying to show us something. Hebrews, we just studied that together for six months. Hebrews, I told y'all, has this ethereal, um, heavenly, divine theology of, of how salvation played out on an ethereal level. Luke is not that. Luke is not, here's the grand overall theme. Luke is, I want to tell you the nitty-gritty details, even down to the point of Nazareth. So he's trying to get, again, facts He wants the office to say, I'm not just making this up. It's in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel from Nazareth. This is where this all pends itself from. So if you're new to biblical exegesis or going through the Bible like we do, if you're new to that, this is important. It's not something that you should just gloss over. And the reason I say it's important is because people thought that the coming Messiah would be a royal warrior. So there's going to be this Messiah that comes that's going to restore Israel and is also going to bring about salvation and redemption. And he's going to be this royal warrior. He's going to be Herod's offspring or Augustus's offspring or somebody grand's offspring. He's going to live in a palace and he's going to be this, this mighty warrior. And Luke says, hey, he wasn't any of those things. He was lowly and he came from them. Nazareth. This is why this is in there. It's super important to get these details because Jesus was obviously not a royal warrior. He was coming as a suffering servant who would redeem Israel through relentless love and self-sacrifice. So he's setting the stage right off of the bat to show us there's something different. That the kingdom of God would be ushered in in a different way than from swords and, and I don't know what else they had. I was going to say one of them things that throws things, but I can't think of what that word is. (laughs) Catapult. Thank you very much. Um, But let's keep reading. So this detailed setting. Six-month angel Gabriel from God, city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now Luke wants to see three more things before he dives into the content. Number one is this. Did you notice that the word virgin was repeated twice? Why do we repeat something? Because we're certain about it, or we want to make sure that the person hearing us hears what we're saying. Um, we do this to our kids all the time. Pick up your clothes, pick up your clothes. For the love of all this holy, pick up your clothes. Okay? Eat your food, eat your food, eat your food. For the love of all holies, eat your food. And don't you throw those peas on the floor, or I'm going to shove them down your pie hole. <laughs> We repeat these things over and over, and there's a, there's a point to this. In other words, why do I think you repeat it? Remember, Luke is a doctor. And for a doctor to believe that a virgin had a child was nothing short than the work of a Holy Spirit. A doctor just wouldn't believe that. And so Luke is saying, listen... I am convinced, even as a doctor, that this is true. So he repeats it twice. This virgin named Mary, this virgin named Mary, he's certain. And then number two, Luke wants to see this word betrothed to a virgin betrothed. Betrothed is kind of like engagement today, but it's legally binding. So if you get engaged today, you can break the engagement off, no big deal. If you're betrothed, you still haven't had sex, you are in the engagement period, but if you're going to break that off... You have to go through the legal divorce process. And so Luke brings this out because I think he wants to see this on purpose. In other words, he's bringing it out to say, Joseph thought she was crazy too. That's why in Matthew, Joseph, when he heard that his virgin betrothal person was going to have a baby, decided in his mind to do what with her? Divorce her how do you get divorced if you're not married? And so Luke goes, here's how, because they were betrothed. Details, very important. So he throws these details out there. And then the third thing I want, he wants to see is this, that, and, and, and the husband, or the, the one that was to be the husband, the betrothed one's name was Joseph of the house of David. Very important. Very important because if it's a virgin birth, then some might say well then why would the husband even matter i mean we should really be focused on we should venerate mary we should exalt mary we should lift her above women we should do all these things if it was and Luke goes hey this is very important because joseph played a role in fulfilling the prophecies as well now i'm going to save two home run prophecies for later but at minimum this is a triple Okay? Maybe we should even say, I'm going to save two grand slams for later, but this one is a dinger nonetheless, and that's going to be this. Luke's on fire theologically because Isaiah 11 1 prophesied, catch this on the screen, that there would be a branch from the root of Jesse. Jesse was David's dad. And that's where the promised Messiah would come from, from the branch of David's lineage. Now, in other words, the Messiah that's to come will come and has to come from the house of David. So Luke says Joseph was of the house of David. Theophilus don't miss this and he tied a few more knots together, I believe as well. This word branch really is netzar or natzar. It's the root word for Nazareth. So in other words, here's how this could read. It could read something like this. And I do believe this is how it reads. And I think Luke is putting all, all this together. And he's saying, listen, you got to know that this isn't just Jesus from anybody. This is Jesus from the house of David. Isaiah 11, 1 could read like this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse... And a Nazarene from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Fulfilling prophecies even before he's born. And Luke's saying, you got to know these things. That's cool, church. All the nerds in here say, yeah, that's good. That's some good stuff, man. And I am the chief nerd in this room. Um, And so in just two verses... Luke is blasting us with historical facts, and then he's going to move on to the content. And this is where it really gets fun. So, we went from the detailed settings now to the divine message that's given. And so, Gabriel came to her, and he said, Verse 28 Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly Troubled. Underline that in your Bible if you underline. Um, greatly troubled the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So you've got a troubling messenger and then a troubling message. So the troubling messenger first. What have we already learned about angels from last week? They are scary. They are horrifying individuals, okay? I hope you're getting, if you don't learn anything else from the Gospel of Luke, hopefully you at least walk away with, hey, angels are pretty freaky, right? So there's this this, this scary messenger that shows up, and this is troubling. Now, I'm going to throw this up one last time to hopefully sear this in our heads. I have danger of losing you here, but let's go for it anyway. This is what most people think of when they think of an angel. Boom. Here we go. Not very troubling. You know, makes a great tree topper on the top of your Christmas tree. Right? That would not trouble you. If you look at angels in the Bible, take the book of Revelation, take how they are described with crazy eyes and crazy wings and all this kind of stuff, biblically accurate angel probably looked a little more like that. Right? Hallmark ain't selling none of those. And number 2, that my friend would trouble the mess out of you if that showed up, okay? Now I know, go ahead and get it off the screen cuz I'm losing people. Let's let's get off the screen. And, and and I say that halfway jokingly, and I do mean halfway jokingly. Please go read your bible, study it. Angels are some creepy described thing. So there's this troubling thing that shows up. This this troubles with this messenger. Angels are not cute, cuddly, warm, fuzzy Again, they're not angel-soft toilet paper. They're not bouncing on clouds. They are these freaky things. Um, They give people the heebie-jeebies. right? And that's why, again, it's not topping your tree. But you've got this troubling messenger and this troubling message. Secondly, the message was this. Read it again. Favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, that tripped her up as well. And that tripped her up because, remember... She is probably a 12 to 15-year-old girl from a farm town of Nazareth. And you've got this angel showing up. All she's known all of her life is working for her family, serving well, um, doing labor, and giggling with her friends. This is all she's known. Now all of a sudden, that crazy monster's ink sucker shows up in her room and gives her this message of, you are the favored one. So she's freaked out about this, and she's probably thinking something along the lines of, did I accidentally eat one of those mushrooms <laughs> that daddy said, don't eat those? <laughs> like, what is going on? Am I, is, is something weird happening? So she's got this moment, and then this explosion of divinity, and this is where the text turns into what is heralded as the magnificat, or the magnificence. Divinity is going to explode all over the screen in the content of the angel's message. Here we go. Let's just chew through it together. Verse 30. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Number one, she gets this divine blessing. And so, literally, what this reads as, and if you attach this with the greeting before, literally it means grace to whom God has graced. What a message! Grace to whom God has graced. She's certainly blessed, again, among women, but she's not blessed above women. There's no reason to worship Mary. She's she's flesh. But, just like we are flesh, she's been given grace. She's been given special, prevenient grace. God has given her grace upon grace. Just like us. Anytime we receive grace... It's not because we've earned it. It's not because we deserve it. It's just because God chose to give it. And God chooses to give her grace. Anything earned is not grace. Mary did nothing in and of herself to earn the favor of God. He just chose to give her grace. And so if you find yourself in this room today believing that Christ died and rose for you, if you find yourself believing that you are eternally secure through the work of Christ, it's because grace has fallen upon you like it fell upon Mary. You didn't earn it. You didn't conjure it up. You didn't work its way into existence. God just gave it to you like he gave to Mary. So she gets this divine blessing. And then she's told she's going to have a divine son. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great. and will be called the son of the most high. Let's just kind of walk in the growth of this. Number one, he starts off with this common name. Jesus was a common name. Do not get mad when you hear of somebody named Jesus. I know you're like, oh, it was a common name. And this common name means Yahweh saves. And so you're going to have this son. And he'll have a... He'll have a common name. Now, he'll be the fulfillment of that, but the common name. Then he goes on, but but this common name will have an uncommon attribute, that uncommon attribute, greatness. He'll be great. And no one has ever compared in history to Christ's greatness, have they? I mean, our time-spaced history literally is split on the work of Christ. A.D. and B.C., split because of Christ. Nobody has impacted or nobody has been as great as the Lord Jesus. Of all the great servants that the world has ever seen, Jesus is the greatest. Of all the great leaders the world has ever seen, Jesus is the greatest. Of all the great liberators that the world has ever seen, Jesus is the greatest. Of all the great bondage breakers the world has ever seen, Jesus is the greatest. So who have a common name but an uncommon attribute. He will be unparalleled in power, wisdom and love. He'll be unparalleled. But then, notice this. He'll be divine because he will have an exclusive bloodline. Exclusive being this. He's not just your son, Mary, but he is the son of the most high God. He's different. He'll have this exclusive bloodline. And... This is exclusive, and we're going to get to this later. Um, Luke chapter 8, again, we should make it there sometime around the year 2028, but we will make it to Luke 8. And when we get there, you're going to find out this is the Gerizim demoniac. And there's this guy who is legion. This this guy who has all these demons, and the demons call themselves legion. And so Jesus shows up, legion shows up, and legion, this demon, screams out, hold up, I know who you are. He says, you are the son of... Of the Most High. So even the demon knows who he is, that he's of this exclusive bloodline. So you got this divine blessing and this divine son, and then it goes on to say this and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So if you're looking for what blew Mary's mind out of the water, that's the verse. You may not think that's the verse, but that's the one. That's the one that absolutely rocked her world. This is one of the home-run prophecies that I mentioned just a little bit ago. Mary had heard from her birth, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Again, put all this together. She has heard from her birth. She's sitting in her room, hiding out. This angel comes up, and she hears... What she has heard over and over and over spoke to her, and it is divine majesty. Here's what this passage says. The prophecy is the coming Messiah will be the one that when your days, David, are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Watch this. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. In other words, Mary hears this and the angel is saying to her, Mary, you and your son are the fulfillment of the prophecy. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and his kingdom will reign forever. Late, I can only speak to the ladies because, guys, we don't know what this is like. Ladies. Imagine an angel comes to you and says, Hey, you've heard this prophecy all of your life that there'll be one that comes and his kingdom's gonna reign forever. It's your child. What would you do? What would you do? I'll answer it for you. You would pass flat out on the floor, (laughs) you you would be blown away. This is what is magnetic, this is divine. Guys, don't just read through this and go, oh, it's the Christmas story. No, this is divinity on display for us to rejoice and to see Jesus is different. He's something other. And so she gets this. And you've got, to, you've got to feel her astonishment to even understand where she's at and understand her question, all right? Remember Zechariah last week? You guys remember. If, if you weren't here, please go listen to the message. Zechariah last week, he had a question for the angel when the angel came and gave him a message. Gabriel had told him his son would be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he said this, well, by what evidence shall I know? Because I don't believe this. In other words, he gave a question in defense against the angel. It was defensiveness, okay? And in other words, give me some evidence because I do not believe what you're saying. That's what Zachari- happened with Zachariah. And so Gabriel went and snuffed out his vocal cords. All right? So if you're just reading this, you may go, well, well, Zachariah asked a question, and Mary asked a question, so why doesn't she get muted as well? You, if you don't understand, she's astonished and believing, you'll equate the two together, but they're totally different. Zachariah wasn't astonished. He didn't believe. Mary is astonished. Oh, my heavens. How is this going to occur? And so, it pours out this way. She's not asking for evidence. Verse 34, And Mary says to the angel, Not what do I need to know, but how will this be since I am a virgin? So, Zechariah gave a question in defense. She's given a question in affirmation. It would be the same as if I went up to Todd, and I said, Todd, hey, man, I I, I need you to move this table. And Todd goes, yeah, man, cool, I'm in. How do I I move it? Where do I need to move it to? It's different. She's affirming here. In other words, I'm blown away. I've been, I believe, it will be, but I'm a virgin. So you got to help me understand. I'm, I'm with it. But I don't know how you're going to work this out. Tell me what's going to happen so I know what to expect. And I've got a suspicion that Mary asked the question on purpose. Specifically because of that just question she had. But home run prophecy number two. Church, please feel this. I'm also very suspicious that she also is thinking about Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is another verse that she has heard all of her life. She's been forced to memorize this verse. Her head is bowed. And she's saying, Gabriel, after she picked herself off the floor, Gabriel, are you saying, gulp, that I am And the lady who was prophesied 700 years ago, the one that was the virgin to come that would have the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, the prophecy was, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So, yeah, she's blown away. How does a virgin have the coming Messiah? Hold up. Am I what was prophesied 700 years ago? You feel that? What a weight! So we've got this divine majesty, and then the angel answered her, Yep. Yes. Yes. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. What about an answer that no one can possibly understand? (laughs) Right? It's kind of like talking to somebody who's calculus. Like, how'd you come up with the answer, to? Well, I had the square root of the cosine three. to, to turn it, And they rattle off this stuff, and you're like, I don't have a clue what you just said. It's true, but I have no idea what you just said. And that's the answer the angel gives. In other words, Mary, I'm going to answer you. Because I know that this is a lot, sister. I know that this is a lot, okay? And you're not going to wrap your head around it. But, hey, let's give it a shot. The spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, yeah, he's going to come upon you. The power of the Father that created all things, he is going to overshadow you. And the son that's going to be in you, yeah, he's holy because he existed before you existed. But hey, your relative, she's barren, she's going to have a kid too, so y'all ought to go yap it up. <laughs> right? Y'all can figure it out together. So to summarize, Mary, here's what you need to know, because you're not going to understand anything else. You need to know that nothing is impossible with God. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to know. And so talk about, again, an answer that no one can understand. More divinity is the divine mystery where we wrap up our divine things today. Alistair Begg says it this way, and I love it. He calls this the divine mystery, which is the heartbeat of history. I like that. It kind of rings off the tongue. So to stand up here and act like I can explain the details of the virgin birth would be completely absurd. So I'm not going to tell you that I understand it all or can explain it all, and I admit to you right up front, I cannot explain all this to you. Right? But the Bible has given us enough to stir our souls for a lifetime of worship when we think about the virgin birth. So again, happy Christmas Eve, church. Let's give gifts to each other afterwards, right? In monetary form. All to me. No, just, uh, I'm, just, that's a, I'm just kidding. Anytime I say something like that, my filter's not working, and then I regret it. So maybe I just say it out loud. I don't mean that at all. Okay. Um, seven things about the virgin birth that we need to be clear about. And these are highlighted by D.A. Carson and Mark Driscoll, and I just thought they were fantastic. Seven things that we need to know about the virgin birth. Number one is this, to be clear about. God did not have sex with Mary. So when you're thinking about the virgin birth, don't go there. God did not have sex with Mary. That would have violated Mary and Joseph to produce something that's holy. That doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. God did not violate Mary and Joseph to produce a son. Um, That is Mormonism, and that is also Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, It's not true, but how did it happen? We may ask that question. We don't know. We don't know how it happened. But this is also a good time to bring up my favorite fish in the whole world that you guys have heard me rattle on about. It's the anglerfish. If you've never seen the anglerfish, this fish lives over a mile deep in the bottom of the ocean. And so it doesn't have any exposure to light or anything like that. But look it up, man. I'm telling you, you can do it now today. Pull up your phone, look at it. This fish has an antenna that goes off of its head. And on its head, it's a flashlight. And that flashlight attracts other people, other fish to it, so it can snap them. That's why it's called the anglerfish. How did God put a flashlight on this fish's head? (laughs) I don't know. And you don't know either. But you believe it, don't you? Yeah, because you've seen it. So I don't know how this occurred, but God did not have sex with Mary. She was indeed a virgin by birth, uh, Jesus' birth. Number two, a human person did not become God. That was Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve. So some people will say, and this is also Mormonism. And again, if you have friends that's in Mormonism, this is a dangerous cult. Okay? This, this is heretical. Um, and so this would be also their belief that this human person ultimately became God and you too can become gods. That's not biblical. It's just not biblical. And I, I love you enough to tell you that. It's, it's not biblical. That, again, was the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve. If you eat of this fruit, you too will become like God. You'll become like him. So this is not true. Number three, Christ did not cease to be God when he became man. That's also true. So some people will think, okay, well, God came down, he became man, therefore he gave away. And this is the whole argument about what does kenosis mean in Philippians, that he emptied himself. He did not give away his divinity. So he didn't become less than divine in this moment. Now, we'll unpack all of the miracles in Luke, and that's going to be fun. We've already picked out some songs to go along with it. Um, that should be fun as well. Uh, so b- my, my point in saying this is, most importantly, not just the miracles did Jesus prove to be God, he, he, he claimed to forgive sin. And only God can forgive sin. And he didn't back down. So much so that people ultimately killed him because he claimed to forgive sin. So he didn't become less than God. And then number four, Jesus did not come into existence at his birth. He existed in eternity past with the Father, with the Son, the Holy Trinity, three and one. Another thing that we cannot fully explain, but we believe because the Bible teaches. John says it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he existed before and then number five, we need to know this about the virgin birth. The virgin birth was not borrowed from Greek mythology. And there may be some people in this room that go, ah, oh, the virgin birth sounds a lot like Greek mythology. Or maybe you've heard that. Okay? The reason we can know this is not true is because Scripture predates all of Greek mythology. So if anything, Greek mythology borrowed from the Scriptures to come up with their notions of the virgin birth. We need to know that, and that's very important. You can track the virgin birth as early, if you want to, as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And you'll remember this all the way back in the garden. After the fall of man, um, and and, and Satan's um, damning and all this kind of stuff, the prophecy is given. Hey, look, I know this this has gone terribly wrong, but here's what's going to happen. The woman will give birth to a son, an offspring. Zero mention of the father. None. Don't just be a woman. And that offspring will have this thing that keeps sh- striking at his heel, but he will be the one who crushes his head. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. We've got this beautiful picture of Christ. So, Don't let somebody tell you, oh, that virgin birth, that was just borrowed from Greek mythology. It doesn't stack up, it doesn't add up. And so, number six, Jesus is indeed, this is what we need to know, both God and man simultaneously. Again, how does it work? I don't know, but nothing is impossible with God. That I do know. Here's why this matters. You can go research this. We don't have time for it. I would love to just hang out on it. But the Chalcedonian Creed was written in 451. So, so if today that really piques your interest, man, go study the Chalcedonian Creed. The whole point of the Chalcedonian Creed is about the virgin birth and the hypostatic union and how these two things fit together. Go study that. It's, it's, it's fascinating. But I'll just say this. Why is it important that the hypostatic union is true? Meaning that God is both 100%, Jesus is 100% God and he's also 100% man. Why is that so very important? Here's why it's important. If Jesus was just a man, then he was a good guy who did some good things. And then he died and his death really means nothing. This is kind of Gandhi. Gandhi. This is, he's a a great guy. He's a great moral, you should follow his morality. Like you should do the things that he does. And and this is where you end up with a gospel that's just kind of social felt needs in in scope. There is no salvific anything. It's just, hey, he did some good stuff. Go be like him. That's kind of the message of if he's just a man. Now, the problem with that is his death would mean nothing if he's just a man, but it's also problematic because Jesus kept claiming to be what? He kept claiming to be God, which is, again, what ultimately got him killed. And if Jesus is claiming to be God, then he is either, as C.S. Lewis says, a liar or a lunatic or he is indeed the Lord. That'd be a problem if he was just man. But what about if he was just God? Would that be problematic? Yes. It would be equally as problematic. The reason it would be problematic is because he would be a divine guy who did not sin. And the reason he did not sin is because he couldn't sin. He's God. It's impossible for If he's just God, the pendulum swings there. And that would be problematic because you end up with a being that really was not tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. He couldn't identify with us. He didn't conquer the law. He didn't fulfill it. He didn't live the life. He didn't pull it off. And so, sin has been conquered. Therefore, there's appeasement and substitution. If he's just God, his death means nothing. His death means nothing. It would just kind of... The life of Jesus would have been a, like a weird soap opera where God's just kind of playing some stuff out so it would be tricked and then he just kind of moves on. Number seven. The virgin birth, therefore is a primary issue in salvation. Primary, not secondary. Man, I, I know we live in 2023, and you're not supposed to say things like that, but safe haven, this is an absolute we will not bend from in our church. It's a primary issue. What I mean by that is this. You can wrestle with how the end times will play out, and still be saved. Is there going to be a pre-tribulational rapture? Is there going to be a uh, millennialism? Is it all symbolic? Is, you, can rest, <laughs> you can wrestle with all kinds of ways the end times will play out and still be saved. You can wrestle with all kinds of ways the spiritual gifts play out. Is there tongues? Is there healing? Is there this? Is there that? Is there just prophecy? Is there, uh, and still be saved. You can have all of those things. You cannot wrestle with the virgin birth, and deny it and still be saved. It's a primary issue. It's a distinctive. Because if he's not fully man, and if he's not fully God, simultaneously his death means nothing. That's how important this is, church. That's what Luke chapter 1 is getting to. Why is it important? Let's keep rolling real fast. One, because his holiness is only possible through a virgin birth. It's impossible for him to be pure if he comes from purely human bloodlines. Now, how would this take place? And I've tried to argue this several times. Anytime this passage comes up, there is (laughs) the most miraculous thing about a woman's body is the placenta. It is unreal. The placenta is able to wrap a human being... And pass nutrients back and forth. But. Maintains a blood barrier. To where the woman's blood. Does not mix. With the child's blood. It's almost as if God was like. Hey I need to make this miraculous. So that I can bring forth. A holy child. Through a woman. It's astonishing. And so his holiness. Is at stake. If he is not born of a virgin, then he did not bypass the sin that comes inherited through the bloodline of Adam and Eve, which we all have. Anybody in here from a virgin birth? All right. Because you would be the only one that would be the second person that's passed the sinful bloodline. This is why this is important. This is why Colossians 2 says it this way. In him the fullness of deity dwells. Because he comes from a virgin. Horses beget horses. Um, Cantaloupes beget cantaloupes. Um, Dandelions beget dandelions. God begets God. So this is important. His holiness possible through the virgin birth, through the placenta. And then our holiness is only possible through the virgin birth. He achieved a sinless birth, which we can't do. He then lived a sinless life, which we couldn't do, nor would we do. He died a sinless death, which we want, and then he was raised again unto sinless resurrection forevermore, which is our only hope. That's why it's so important. The virgin birth is a big deal, church. Huge deal. Because our salvation rests in its truthfulness. And I would also argue this is why, at the cross, this is why the ground started shaking. This is why the sun went dark. Why? Because even the rocks and the sun is looking at Christ on the cross going, Y'all have this all wrong? What are you doing? That's the one that's sinless. That's the one that's pure. And so the rocks go, Hey, hey, we out of here. The sun goes, I might as well shut down because the sinless one is on the cross. That's why, church, the veil was ripped and torn because Christ's sinlessness opened our access to the Holy of Holies where we can walk freely to the Father. And he goes, come on in because of the sinless virgin-born Son. Your joy rests in that. Your hope rests in that. And if you do not believe that, I beg of you. Trust in the finished work of the virgin-born son today and find access to the Father. So, our holiness is achieved through that. And if if you didn't understand anything of Hebrews, now maybe Hebrews makes a little more sense. Y'all remember chapter 4? Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just like we are, yet without sin, 100% human. Hebrews chapter 7. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. He's holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like other priests to offer sacrifices for, for his own sin um, and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself 100% divine. And then we wrap it up with a magnificent response. That's a lot. Like you're sitting here going, it is a lot. That's a lot, Troy. That's a lot. Imagine if you're Mary (laughs) and you just heard all that. How does she respond? Well, behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. (laughs) Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Man, would that have been your response? I'm just going to go and tell you ahead of time. I would have been struck mute right then and there because I would have opened my mouth and had all kinds of questions. <laughs> What a woman. What worship. God, I don't understand any of that. Let it be. Let it be. Did you catch the beautiful flow of Luke? Did you you catch? It's a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece grammatically and just from a literary perspective. Verse 31, the angel said, what will be? Verse 34, Mary asked, well, how will this be? Verse 35, the angel responded, how it will be? And now in verse 38, Mary worshiped as a handmaid and said, well, then let it be. So cool. It's beautiful. So to answer the question that is posed every single Christmas for the love of all that is holy, holy. In Mark Lowry's song, Mary, did you know? The answer is unequivocally, yes. (laughs) She knew. She knew. You don't have to worry. Mary, did you know? Yes. That's your baby. Yes. She knew all of it. Because Gabriel told her in detail, Mark Lowry, go (laughs) read Luke chapter 1. And now I'm banging a desk, and I hope I don't break my wrist, Brett. She knew! She knew. And so let's wrap it up. How does she respond? And this is as the band comes back up. In those days, Mary arose, and she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leapt. Now, why would the baby who is the forerunner to Jesus be leaping already in Elizabeth's womb? Because Jesus just walked in. And he already knows he's the forerunner. And he goes, he's banging. That's the one in the womb. He's like, pow, pow a bunch punching. Of... He's doing his work already. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What makes a cousin who have played together all of their lives all of a sudden say to their cousin, You're the mother of the Lord? The Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that does that. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. Rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months, and then returned to her home. That's a whole lot coming from a thirteen year old girl. Whole lot. And she realizes, and Zechariah realizes, that to follow this prophecy, it's gonna cost her. And if you follow this prophecy as well, it's going to cost you too. It'll cost you your life. People will think you're nuts. We had not mentioned old Theophilus all day today, have we? Can you imagine if Theophilus just read that for the first time and said, Hey, honey. <laughs> you are not going to believe what I just read that Luke wrote that I should know. He's blown away. He's blown away. And so if you're an unbeliever in this room today, Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophesied Messiah. There's no one else that fulfills the prophecy like him. Trust in him today. If you've never repented of your sin... Believed in Christ's sufficiency and His holiness. Committed your life to Him. Do it today. And on the authority of God's Word, if you call on the name of Jesus today, you will be saved. If you do that, hey, let us know. There's a place in the handout you can let us know. You can come to me afterwards and let me know. We would love to talk to you about baptism. And we'd love to talk to you about what communal life looks like in Christ. Let us know. And if you believe all of this today, it's because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to believe it. You didn't believe it on your own. So will you worship in splendor and majesty the King of kings and the Lord of lords that we just talked about? Let's pray together. But after a passage like this today, I can only just two thoughts come to mind. Do I adore you in all of your majesty consistently? And I don't. So thank you for passages like today that highlight just how majestic you are, even from pre birth. And then, number two, Lord, I think about Mary. Good grief. That we at this church will be marked as a people who will be faithful like Mary in response to Jesus to just say, We are your maidservants, use us how you please.